headed toward God's kingdom, we hope, and everything between now and then. It's, a, it's an exciting time to be alive, frustrating in some ways, but exciting in others. So here we are, though, and uh, thankfully God has brought us and revealed things to us that we might be a help toward showing the world who he is and what his plan and his purpose is. So uh, that's an incredible calling that God has given us to be a light to a very, very dark world. This is the fourth Sabbath in the seventh Sabbath count toward Pentecost. So three more after this, and the next day is Pentecost on June 20. So one more checked off. Today let's go back into Mark 13, where we left off last week uh, in discussing this end time and where we really are in it. He gives us some clues here, uh, both here and in Mark 24 and Luke 21, which are parallel stories. Some differences, and I went to Mark because we often don't turn to it. We turn to Matthew 24, Luke 21, it seems, uh, first, because Mark does not give quite as much detail. But on the other hand, some of the things he says are a little bit different. So we compile it all and get as clear a picture as we can. I think we came back down to about uh, verse 7 and down. When you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, be not troubled. For such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. (coughs) We've been hearing of all kinds of wars now for quite some time. And this nation has been involved in war almost throughout its entirety. Uh, It's very rare that we haven't been at war. We may not think of it today, but we're still at war in Afghanistan uh, to one degree or another in Iraq and in Syria and involved in wars in other places like Somalia. Uh, We have our hand in stirring all kinds of things around the world (coughs) as the hammer of the whole world. So you'll hear these things, but the end isn't yet. And he goes on to explain more of what he was saying there about wars and rumors of wars. For nation shall rise against nation, and that creates rumors of war and war, kingdom against kingdom. So warfare and then natural disasters. There shall be earthquakes in different places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. These are the things that show you that it's drawing near and it's the beginning of this whole thing. (coughs) Of course, there have been earthquakes, there have been famines throughout history. But earthquake and volcanic activity is increasing very rapidly and has been for about four years now. And there are all kinds of hot spots building up. And now we're beginning to see not only famine in some places that traditionally have had famine, uh, Africa and the Middle East, various places, but now we're seeing food shortages and forecasts of famine. Uh, 
even in this breadbasket of the world, really. Uh, I read articles all the time about shortages here and shortages there and how the price is going up and up and up, crops being destroyed. Uh, read about Lake Powell and Lake Mead and how low the water is getting and how this is the worst drought in a long, long time here in the southwest. Uh, I was even warned recently we ought to check the uh, depth of our wells here. They had remained since we drilled them at about 26 feet static water level. But somebody said they'd been hearing different stories from cane beds since you've got all these new wells being drilled all over. And I need to make it a point that we ought to check our depth in our wells just to see what is there. I do believe that God put us in a place where we'd have enough water to last as long as we need it here. But still in all, there is uh, a real drawing in this aquifer that is here. And I don't know how fast it's being replenished, or from, for that matter, from where. Many times you can have water coming underground from 100, 200, 300, or 1,500 miles away. And we don't really know on this, but here in an arid land, uh, God led us to land, I believe, that had uh, enough water, and it certainly did over these last nearly 20 years. Where it's headed now, we'll see. But uh, with droughts across the country, uh, California is in serious trouble, parts of it uh, in producing, and in the Middle West and so on. Uh, they're having weather that's creating problems uh, for farmers. And some aren't even planting this year. They said, there's no sense in it. Don't even bother. So we see these things increasing now, not only around the world, Somalia or wherever, but even here, it's developing. And you've already seen the rise in prices, and they're going to get worse and worse and worse. So you'll see these things, and these are the beginning of sorrows. So as you see this, know that the process is now in place. It's working. Uh, when we can see it here in this nation that was given the greatest blessings of any place on earth, and it's developing here, you know that the time has come. Now, how is it only the beginning of sorrows? Well, it escalates from here down to the seven last plagues where most of mankind that still exists is going to be destroyed. So it's each page that turns, it gets worse. But it's important for us to understand that we are now within the process. It isn't something to think about or wonder when it is now here. Now, he makes an interesting statement here in verse 9, which is said a little bit differently in Matthew and in Luke. And I want to compare the three. He says, Take heed to yourselves. Now, he's speaking to his disciples here, uh, specifically those who would be the twelve. But he's also speaking to us, those of us on down here. Uh, when you see this happening, and we do now, he says, wake up, take heed. 
Where do you stand? What's your position? Now, for the umpteenth time, we know we were spewed out because of God's disfavor, because of our attitudes and conduct. And that's been quite some time now since that began and is, in many respects, pretty well finished. We're pretty well scattered. Uh, but when you see it happen, take heed to yourself. Consider, think, meditate, analyze. Where do you stand with God? Because our standing with God is the all-important thing. Your standing with the beast won't mean a thing. People are wearing the masks to be in concert with the rising beast. Now they're taking vaccines to be in concert with the rising beast. And they will continue to be taken in by that until the whole world, save those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, are worshiping the beast and Satan. Because it's a process. It isn't something that happens simply overnight. It's a process that occurs. And they have already begun the process now in earnest. They've been doing it for decades in teaching communism in our schools and universities and so on. But now our government is actively promoting communism. And... This COVID thing and the vaccine are exerting a greater control over people. I just read this morning that in April, the press secretary at the White House said, no way will we ever have a vaccine passport. We're not thinking that way. I think it was just yesterday the Department of Home, Homeland Security head said, we are seriously considering a Vax passport. <laughs> you knew it all along. They do a disclaimer, a disclaimer, a disclaimer, we won't go there, and then suddenly they go there. Europe has already adopted it. Several other countries have. And we cannot be far behind because it's obvious that those globalists behind all of this are promoting it, and they're going to do whatever is necessary to cause it to happen. They're already dividing up sports crowds. If you go to a baseball game, I don't know whether some have already started it, but they're put, they've got it in their planning. If you go to a baseball game, those who have vaccines sit in this half of the stadium, and those who have not have to wear masks and be in that side of the stadium. Now look where this is going. Our government and their FEMA camps have already said they're going to get all of those who are not liberals, or do not think their way, if you will, they're going to round them up and take care of them. <clears throat> now, how easy is that? You wonder, how will you know who's who? Well, these have their vaccination passport to sit in this side of the stadium, and these with the masks are the ones who won't accept it. So you round up all the mask wearers and send them to FEMA camps. That's one way I see this coming down. There might be other ways they make that judgment, but uh, how easy is that? People are starting to strip their masks off when they get vaccinated. 
And now you're seeing less and less of them, but the amount of vaccines are going up and the amount of deaths and injuries with it. Uh, Italy just mandated a vaccination passport for all citizens. Doesn't matter religion, morality, anything. All citizens must have the vaccination and have a vaccination passport. And one writer from Italy said he thinks they'll wind up in a civil war because there are some people who are heavily against it. What about America? You have some who are heavily against it and some who are for it. Isn't that the same scenario? And doesn't Jeremiah say we will have civil war, ruler against ruler, and violence in the land? Yes, it does. So this is coming, and it is well in process, okay? We're not far from it. Because they're making those divisions. They're making those categories. And now, of course, they're delisting people from Facebook and Twitter and all of these things if they say something that is not liked by the libtards uh, in charge. I like that word. Liberals and retards, it kind of goes together as libtard. Uh, wow. But take heed to yourselves, and here is one reason to take heed. You better be prepared for something that is coming. And here's what it is. For they shall deliver you up to councils, to courts, to councils, to uh, DHS boards, or whatever name they put on it, whatever form it takes. And in the synagogue... You shall be beaten. Uh, they just, I think I said last week, they just fined a church up in, I think it was Nova Scotia, over $12,000 for having a meeting in their church and $2,300 per adult fines for being there. And Canada is, is uh, rolling this out a little faster than it is being done here. Smaller population, a little easier to control, and they're really pushing it. And they're going to push it the same way here. So they're persecuting churches. Uh, there's a church I just read about that they... Oh, they're going to investigate churches for tax fraud and what they're doing with their money and so on and so forth. They're going to put real pressure on the churches now. <clears throat> and you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against you, a testimony against them. The rulers, the kings, God will send His people before them or allow them to be taken there as a testimony against those rulers and kings. And then in that sense, strictly, it is God's testimony against them because we represent God. Now understand, he's talking to those twelve to-be apostles here, 
And this is a very, very personal level discussion for them. But at the same time, he's also explaining about the end time, which it became very obvious was not then. Those men were brought before kings and rulers and councils, and they did have to speak up. And that is a testimony against those Romans and whoever it was that they went up against at that time. So this was fulfilled in their lifetimes. But prophecies have a way of being fulfilled over and over again until the final and most dramatic one. Now, we'll see in a moment that this is also mentioned in Daniel, which was a book sealed up until the end. So the things written in Daniel weren't going to happen in that sense in those apostles' day. It was a prophecy for the very end. Now, Daniel does repeat that some will be martyred and killed and so on. And yes, in that sense, it was a prophecy that was fulfilled. But when you grasp that Daniel, in a, in a bigger sense, is sealed up and was sealed still at that time, then these prophecies here are more specific to us, and so are the ones in Daniel and Revelation. Because all the apostles, by the time the book of Revelation was written, were dead except John, who wrote it. So, obviously, the things he wrote weren't for James, Peter, and uh, the rest of them. They were for us here at the end. So, when he says, listen up and take heed, he's talking to us here, <laughs> not just to those apostles. Uh, yeah, they needed to take personal warning, but this is for later. And he's talking about the end time, and he knew that the end time wouldn't come in their lifetimes. They thought it would, but he knew better. He let them think it, so they did need to take heed to themselves as well, okay? But it's meant even more so for us, because things will be far more dramatic here at the end than what they were in those men's lives. And then he says the gospel must be first preached, published among all nations. And in one sense, that was partially fulfilled by those men who went to Jew and to Gentile. Uh, they didn't go to the entire world, I don't believe. I've not seen history of it. But the world around here, and even in Europe and the Middle East to some degree, I do believe they went. They traveled back and forth across the ocean uh, to preach to Israelites who had been taken over there captive and were still there. So they were scattered, as Peter said, and I think James said, maybe it was James more so than Peter, to those scattered brethren. So to some degree it was through travel about the world, let's say, maybe not to all the world. He says, when you see these things, take heed, and they're going to do this to you. Now let's go over to Luke 21. And see what he says. Uh, verse 10, he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and all these natural disasters. And then 12, he says, But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you. Now, Mark did not address time here specifically. 
He just mentioned these events and said that this will happen. Here in Luke, whatever he said in the Hebrew, it's been translated as before. They'll lay their hands on you and persecute you, deliver you up, put you in prison, and so on. And it shall turn to you for a testimony, a witness against them, and a testimony of God through you, saying essentially the same thing. But he says before, now if you go back to Matthew 24, he puts it just a little bit differently. Uh, where am I here? Verse 7, nation rising against nation and these things. He says, these are the beginning of the sorrows. They'll just get worse and worse. <clears throat> so you'll see them. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So he says these things will happen, and then you'll be delivered up. Luke says before these things you'll be delivered up. And Mark says they're going to happen, but he doesn't say exactly when. So you have three different accounts put a little bit differently. I meant to check that one in the Greek and see what the words were in each one of those cases. But I take it from, and and you see this quite a bit if you compare the four Gospels. They'll have it written a little bit differently, put it in their own words. So what I would take from this, whatever the Greek might say, is that we face persecution and difficulty before, during, and after. (laughs) Uh, This is something that to some degree will occur ahead of time, to some degree during these things, and certainly after these things, it'll get worse and worse and worse. So, uh, before, during, and after, I think, would fit here. And just one example popped into my mind, and that was when the state of California came after the church and tried to take it over completely and essentially to destroy it. Uh, In the 79, it was. Uh, There's one episode where it occurred before any of these things began to happen in the way that they are today. And... Anybody who later on wanted to maintain the truths and the doctrines of God that had been shown to us in worldwide were uh, castigated and cast out and all kinds of things happened to them uh, in a spiritual way because it happened first to the church, then it'll happen to the world, but God's people are still going to be around So that which has happened to us spiritually, and I've said many times that it seems the church has already fulfilled Ezekiel 5 in itself on a spiritual level. A third of us have died of spiritual famine, a third of a spiritual sword, and a third being taken captive back out into the world in various ways. So you look at the church and it's been decimated down to about 10% remnant. Somebody told me the other day that, well, the remnant is going to include a lot of people from other groups. It isn't just from worldwide. 
Now, I answered that in the series way back on how, um, how exclusive is the church. It became an important issue. And now people say, well, the remnant is going to be from all kinds of peoples, from other churches, from other groups. I ask a question. What part of remnant do you not understand? What part of the definition do you not get? What is a remnant? It is what is left of what was. There was this. Now this is all that remains. Now to me that does not include people who were never involved. Because they're not a remnant of what was. They would be an addition of whatever, if you will. No, many were called, few will be chosen. Just that which remains, which is, is going to be about 10%. That's all that will still be faithful when this is all said and done. Now, many may repent during the tribulation, I have no doubt. But those are part of what is being talked about right here. Now, God says he's going to bring his remnant and protect them in Zion. So, will they be the ones delivered up to counsel and to kings and to be called on the carpet for trying to be a Christian in a world who hates the name of Christ and worships Satan? I don't think so. Pray that you be accounted worthy to escape all these things. So some will be accounted worthy and will escape it. So he's talking in general here. I'll go back to Mark. He's talking in general about people who have been a part of the church of God. Now, it can also, in a broader view, include all those who claim to be Christians and use the name of Christ in the world. Because it happens first to the church, which has now been scattered, and a remnant will soon be drawn to be protected, but the rest will be left behind and unprotected. And since they're left behind and unprotected, they will be delivered up. Does that make sense then when he says, take heed to yourself and pray that you be accounted worthy? We'll get to that here in a little bit. And then he says, the gospel must first be published among all nations. So you're going to see all these troubles start coming, and they're going to get worse and worse. And the persecution against anyone using the name of Christ has begun. They're calling them up before the courts. They're calling them up before magistrates. And they will, with those who are Sabbath keepers, feast keepers, anyone who was part of the church of God and still perhaps nominally is in some way. The gospel must be preached, published among all nations. But when they shall lead you up and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what you shall speak, 
Neither do you premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak you, for it is not you that speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now, if this is those, or that remnant, or not the remnant, but the majority that is left behind, uh, will God still recognize them for what they have been? Will he still give them a certain amount of understanding? Because he wants them to repent, right? There in Zechariah, I think it's 12, I always can't remember the exact chapter, indicates that about a third will repent during the tribulation. But now this is before, apparently, the gospel begins to be preached. Now, there's something right there that tells you Herbert Armstrong was not the Elijah to come, and he did not preach the gospel around the world as a witness, and the end come. Because he preached what he preached, he did what he did, which was a calling work, not a warning to the whole world. A calling work. He accomplished that, and the end hasn't come. So... He says, when it is preached around the world as a witness, the end will come. And it hasn't. So he must not have done it. That's been three decades ago. More than that. Now, it is possible that even those whom God decides to protect and count worthy are going to go through a certain amount of this. I don't know how much or how long, but a certain amount of it. Because Isaiah does tell us that the Assyrian will come against us and try to do to us, make us slaves, as they did in Egypt or Mitzrayim. So they're going to try it on us. He says it won't get far and it won't last long because he will take care of the problem. But is part of the trial, is part of the test on us? And I would say that they're already doing this to us, you and me, on a small level and the pressure will get more and more and more. Aren't you under pressure already to wear a mask? Are you not under pressure to take a vaccine? Are you not under pressure maybe to be vaccinated or get fired? Or apply for a job and not get it because you have not been vaccinated? Yeah, that pressure is already there. And this is the beginnings of that beast power, of that totalitarian government that is going to subdue and enslave the whole world. As I said before, they're doing it through medical science, through pharmacia, pharmacies. And they know exactly what they're doing, and they're planning it, have planned it ahead of time. Now it is being instituted. So that great power even though we don't know who the two leaders are yet, are behind the scenes. They're very much alive as human beings, probably getting old as human beings. 
because they've been part of this and part of the planning of it for a long, long time now. And now they're instituting it, just as is happening in the church. For the most part, the church is now quite old. If you look at all the congregations of all the different groups around the nation and world. There are some young people, but it's mostly old people. And he says it's all going to end before this generation dies out. The generation he called, basically under Herbert Armstrong, which is now getting very old. Some of you here are fairly young, but you never even saw or heard Herbert Armstrong in the flesh. It's been too long ago. So you were not called as part of that. You may have been called partially through parents, uh, relatives, or come across it somehow, some way, somewhere. So, yeah, you're part of it. I'm not saying you're not. A very important part of it. But it is that generation called under Herbert Armstrong that he's referring to, because that's the last generation uh, that he worked with in any major scale, if you will. So, we should expect a certain amount of pressure. When does it end? How do we escape it? Well, at some point, it's going to have to be with God's protection and Him running the Assyrian off from us. Micah 5 talks about it. He says, The Assyrian will come at you, and I will send out seven or eight prominent men and turn them to flight. So, seven or eight against this whole millions of the world and their armies? It's God's power. <laughs> it isn't seven or eight men's prowess as warriors. It's God's power. And he will take care of the problem. But that doesn't mean that we won't suffer along with it to a degree. And we've used what happened in Mitzrayim as an example of how God allowed his people Israel to go through the first of the plagues. And then as they got worse, he made a separation. They didn't any longer happen to Israel, just to the Mitzrayimites. And then he sprung them on Passover night. So... I don't know how far it's going to go, but I already feel the pressure. And we may feel even more pressure before this is over and before God somehow gives us his deliverance and whatever means he says. Now, the remnant has to come. If they're going to be protected, they got to come. And we get some clues I had wondered over the years will is it possible God would even pick them up like he did Elijah or, and haul them out here no I don't think it can happen that way it says there in Jeremiah that they will be fleeing just ahead of the Assyrian army saying how do I get to Zion that doesn't mean you got picked up by your collar and brought here. It means God stirred you to come, as Haggai put it. So you're doing the coming. And 
you have to get here ahead of the Assyrian army or you'll get swallowed up. I don't know how much ahead. I don't know whether you're going to have bullets at your heels. Probably not. But fleeing ahead of it. They see it coming. They see God do some signs and wonders. And they realize, that's where I need to be. So they come. Now I pictured, you know, you think about these things. How will it happen? Maybe we'll have to have airplanes to go pick them up wherever they call from around the world and bring them. I don't think that's it either. Uh, I think that they will have to come on their own. Well, if they do, within another, what, two, three, six months, a year, the max, they're going to have to have a vaccine passport to get on a plane wherever they are and come here. I mean, overseas, they're not from overseas. There are a lot of people who are in the church who will be here, I'm sure, from Australia and South Africa and Germany and Britain and wherever. They'll have to come. It's a long swim. You can't drive cars across. Can't get on a boat without a VAX passport. And can't get on a plane without a VAX passport. Therefore, all those people would have to be inoculated by the beast before they could come. I have trouble with that. So, to me, that means that more than likely they're going to have to come while you can still travel fairly freely. You can still get on an airplane with just a mask on. You don't have to have a vaccination passport quite yet, but it won't be long. I think I could pretty well guarantee that. It won't be long. So is this going to have to happen pretty quick? Or is that whole remnant going to have to be vaccinated before they can come? I don't know for sure exactly how this will happen. But I do know they're going to put more and more clamps on travel without certain conditions being met. They already require a vaccine passport in Europe and in other countries. And I can't even imagine that it won't be here soon, especially since the DHS is now talking about it, that it's in their thinking. Now, I suspect it's in their planning and has been for a long time, and it's just a matter of when they do it. But they're not going to tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and you know that. No, this thing's been planned a long time. So, take heed, anybody who is seeking to serve God, whether it comes on us a bit, and then as we get relief, or whether it's on those who are in the tribulation, which it will be on essentially 90% of those who were called. Don't worry about what you're going to say if you're in tune with God in any way, form, or fashion. He will supply what you need. Doesn't he say in the sample prayer, give us this day our daily bread, that which we need? Well, this is included in principle in that. 
Give me the food I need. Give me the spiritual food, the words I need. That which that it could refer to that which goes in your mouth, your daily need. It could be the daily need that comes out of your mouth. Whatever we need needs to come from God. That it will be His Spirit that leads us to know what to say in any given circumstance. Now, the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son. And children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. They're going to have a system. They're going to have social media scores. And they're going to have the kids trained and already have, to some degree, see something, say something, to rat out your parents and cause your parents to be put to death, their own children. Now, Christ told us very clearly that we had to put him first, ahead of father, mother, brother, sister, any relative, any acquaintance, any human being, we have to put him first. And then we have to give up, or be willing to give up, our parents, our children, our mates. That's what he's talking about here, in order to serve him. Now, I've preached that pretty powerfully, actually, over the last 20 years, essentially, since we've been here. And I have seen people react in such a way that they would rather leave here and go with parents or children or kinfolk to be with them instead of putting first the things that they had proved to be right. And I wrote somebody a letter just yesterday because they think that the remnant's going to include people from all over because they've gotten involved with people who aren't here teaching false doctrine. And I said, I've seen you. Put your children in keeping your physical family together ahead of serving God. And they're still here. But that's what they're doing. I'll believe my kids and follow them, or I'll believe my siblings and follow them, and follow teachers that I found outside God's church instead of those that God called me to, Herbert Armstrong and those under him, where God did an end-time work. Now they're turning to others. And I've been watching this process for some years now. And it's truly scary. And that's why I brought up, what part of remnant don't you understand? Because I see people right here beginning to say, well, a remnant includes everybody from anywhere. No, there's got to be a remnant of something that was. What's a remnant of carpet or a remnant of cloth? There was a whole roll. Now there's just a little bit left. It, didn't, it isn't pieces of rolls from all over the world. A remnant is a piece of that carpet. Now let's get back to this. People will cause to be put to death their own relatives. There are scriptures that say don't 
trust the wife of your bosom. Don't trust anybody. When women start eating their children in their afterbirth, that's about as bad as it gets. Mothers tend to love their kids. And when they will eat, kill and eat their own baby, things have gotten pretty dire. Now, you know, this is in one sense a modern phenomenon. Now, there's been cannibalism and people killing each other to eat throughout history under bad times. But that's going on even now in the world where people are dying of starvation and don't eat their children. It happened in Elijah's day. The woman was there about to make a meal for her and her son, and she says, after we eat this, we're going to lay down and die because we're starving to death. She wasn't going to kill her son and eat it in order to stay alive. She was going to lay with her son curled up in her arms, and they were both going to die together. She wasn't perverted. She wasn't so selfish that she had to stay alive under any circumstance. Americans are probably, unfortunately, some of the greatest prospects for those who will do that kind of thing. We are so self-centered and self-gratified in wanting what we want when we want it and not being willing to do without, if at all possible, we'll do anything, basically, as Americans to get what we want. So somebody who has that kind of mindset is the one most susceptible to this kind of thing. People who are used to seeing starvation and people lying down and dying do it with a little more dignity and grace and they don't cannibalize each other, including their own children. They just accept it as the way it is and go through it and die going to be different in Israel. And he's talking about Israel when he makes some of these these prophecies. So who do you trust? God in heaven. (laughs) Take heed to yourself. Be close to God in heaven because your own family will turn you in and will cause you to be put to death. Your own children whom you've loved will do that. Why would they do that? You'd think, that can't be. How is that possible? Well, we've had several generations of kids now, especially the last one or two, who have been trained to rat on their parents. And they've been trained to get what they want. So having been trained that way, it's not any great step for them to do it. And I read reports now and then already where kids are turning in their parents. Or maybe they get spanked or disciplined, they turn in their parents so that the state will come take them away. Yeah, this thing is happening. How can it happen? Pretty easy. And you, speaking of the disciples or apostles here, 
specifically, and us as well, shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Now he does say Satan deceives the whole world, and everyone is going to worship the beast except those written in the book of life. So those written in the book of life are going to be hated above all people, by all people. Are you prepared to stand for God when hated by everyone, including all your relatives? Because they will. Now, we've already experienced that in small part, have we not? When we first began following God's way, we ran into difficulties with parents, with our children sometimes, grandchildren, with our acquaintances, business colleagues, whoever it was, when you started doing God's way, you ran into a certain amount of flack. And as this thing intensifies and the beast gets stronger and stronger and people are going more and more that way and submitting, excuse me, submitting to all this stuff, and you're over here still trying to do what God says and you're not taking the vaccines, and you're not signing on so that you can buy and sell and go to stores, you'll be isolated even more. And it'll come to the point that everybody will hate you. Now, it's already in our nation, it's getting to where it's two-sided. The libs and the conservatives hate each other. Well, this is going to get more and more that way because... You won't be able to tell the difference between a a liberal and a conservative pretty soon. They're all going to accept the beast and go along with this, or they're going to be killed. One of the two. If they don't accept it, they'll die. So everybody that's left will have accepted it, except you and me and a few others like us who won't. So that means you'll be hated by everybody. You can still go now and talk to somebody and figure out real fast whether they're liberal in their thinking or whether they're still conservative in their thinking. And you can back off or say more depending on what you read. That's going away. It won't be long till you can't do that anymore. Because they're all going to buy into this. People who have said, I won't do that, I won't do that, are now doing that because they want to go in the store, and they want to buy, and they want to sell, and they want to have an income. And Uncle Joe is giving them an income without them even working. So they're getting more and more and more dependent upon the liberal government, and that's where they'll turn to get everything they think they need. It's already in process. They're already telling you, don't work. You can buy and sell if you'll just go on unemployment and receive your subsistence checks. Everything will be fine with you. All you've got to do is look to those in the governing position and everything will be fine. Be safe while we inoculate with something that's going to kill you. You know what? That makes you safe. You'll have no more trials, no more troubles, no more difficulties, no more 
trying to figure out how to make a living, because you'll be dead. That's safe. <laughs> That's about as safe as you can get. Dead. Safe from all kinds of things. And that's how they want to make us safe. You're not going to get safe from them until you are dead. That's the bottom line. You'll be hated of all men for my name's sake. But you, he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Now, endure what? Endure life. Endure trial, trouble, difficulty, endurance. To the end could mean a lot of things. But here we're talking in specific terms in the context. All these wars and rumors of wars, the famines, the pestilences, the delivering you up to be killed if you obey God. You can't weaken, in other words. You have to endure all of it, even to the death. Now, the apostles did set us a fine example, did they not? They endured a lot of persecution, a lot of hate, some stonings that they survived, various things that they went through that were horrible and survived until they were finally crucified. But they endured to their end, which in that sense is enduring to the end, Because their end, in the next split second, puts them to the end in the resurrection. So what he's telling us is whatever they throw at you, you'd better be prepared to endure. Even death itself. Because Daniel does say that even some of them of understanding shall fall. Daniel 11. So we need to take heed to ourselves. You endure to the end, you'll be saved. Then he gives us something specific. But when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, now that occurred in history, when Antiochus Epiphanes uh, slaughtered a swine on the altar in the temple. But that wasn't the end time. (laughs) That was a minor fulfillment of this. We go back into Daniel, and it talks about the temple being built, and the city of Jerusalem being built, and at the end of... uh, Seventy weeks, this individual will stand proclaiming he is God in the temple of God. And that is a signal to flee from Jerusalem to Zion. So he says, when you see this, you'll know. Because that is the moment in which the times of the Gentiles actually start. Times of the Gentiles is called 42 months. And the two witnesses preach 42 months, or three and a half years, or 1,260 days. So the times of the Gentiles actually begin when the beast, or the false prophet, stands in the temple and blasphemes God. 
He takes over the new temple. He takes over the Jerusalem that has just been built. And he stays there for 42 months. <coughs> I suspect he will take over the temple vessels. He'll take off all the gold and silver of Solomon's mines, which are soon to be shown. He'll take over all of it and stand there blaspheming God, and God will permit it for three and a half years, 42 months. And we had better be paying attention and flee to Zion, which is what he says we must do. The hills, the mountains of Judea. Now, does that mean we're going to pack up the temple treasures and tons and tons of gold and silver and take them with us? No, you don't even go back in the house to get your teddy bear or whatever it is you want from there. You don't do anything, but when you see or hear about that, you take off now, wherever you are. You don't go let the cat out. You just go. When you see that abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, in the temple of God, it oughtn't to be there. Let him that reads understand. Then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. Well, hardly anybody on this earth today understands where Judea is. They think it's over the end of the Mediterranean Sea. No, it's not. That's not the original Judea, the land of Judah. It's over here. That's why it says, let him that reads understand. Because even we, decades ago in the church, still thought that Judea was over there. And we thought that Petra was in the mountains of Judea? No, it's in Jordan. <coughs> That's not Judea over there. It's a false Judea. It's a copycat Judea. The promised land doesn't even begin to fit over there. It's too big for that nation. It just won't fit there. So there's very, very few who read this who will understand. And it's only about a 10% remnant of the church who even understands. And they will have already come to build Jerusalem... And to build a temple, and when that is done, the beast will take it over, and they will flee from there. You better know where Judea is, and you'd better know where the mountains of Judea are, and you'd better know where Zion is. If you don't know those three things, you don't have a chance. You better know where the real ones are. Because I think he's implying very strongly here that not many will understand. And they won't have a clue where to go. Most of the church today still does not have a clue where to go. 99.99% of it don't have a clue where to go. 
about 10% are going to wake up shortly now and realize because of things they see that God is going to do where it is, and they'll come. And they'll learn where the true Jerusalem and the true Zion are in the nation of Ephraim. Jeremiah 31, the watchman will stand on Mount Zion in, or in Zion and proclaim this, that they're to come to Zion. Well, Zion is obviously in Ephraim. And the original Judea is in Ephraim. Ephraim is a bigger country now, but it was smaller then when the promised land was, before the promised land was expanded. It started out Joshua's size when it was divided. And then God said there in Deuteronomy and I think a couple of three other places that I will expand it. So now it includes the whole continent, basically. So when you see that happen, let him who reads understand. Let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. We as a church, we're going to wait till we saw it, I guess, happen in Jerusalem. We're going to flee to Petra. We consider that to be Judea and Petra to be the place. Ignorant. Ignorance can be fixed. Let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of the house. And let him that is in the field not turn back again to take in up his garment. Maybe it's a hot day, and you're working in the field, so you shed some of your clothes and you don't have much on. You don't go to the edge of the field and grab your clothes and then go. When you see that happen or you hear about it, you go now. No delay. I don't care where the kids are. You don't go back to the house or in the house to get the kids. You teach your kids now to be obedient. So that as you turn and go, you holler, Kids, come on! And they will come. You don't have to go back and get them because they're used to doing what Daddy and Mommy say. Now there's your critical reason to cause your kids to be obedient. There have been some parents who've seen their kids running out in the street, and they holler, stop, come back, and the kid keeps running and gets killed. There are others who have trained their kids, when I speak, you do. So when dad or mom hollers, stop, their kids will stop and not get run over. And when that stands in the temple, and you hear about it, and you holler at the top of your voice, come on, children, they will come. You don't have to go in the house after them. They'll come. Now, hopefully, they'll be old enough that they can. 
Woe to those that are pregnant or who give suck in that day. Woe is a pretty heavy term. They need to be old enough to follow dad and mom and go. Don't even pick up your garment. Just go. But woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. Pray that your flight not be in the winter. Uh, that one looked up indicates bad weather, cold weather, difficult weather circumstances. I don't think it necessarily means winter time, but winter conditions that would make it very, very hard to flee for quite a few miles to Zion. Uh, I think the Bible indicates pretty clearly that it will probably be around Passover time. That's the way it was originally and probably will be again. Because they have three and a half years from that day, the times of the Gentiles, 42 months, 1260 days, for all these things to be fulfilled. So, uh, it has to begin and end at a certain time. And when you put all the events of the end time, Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Trumpets, and Atonement and Tabernacles together in the plan of God, it would seem that this would occur around Passover time, if not specifically Passover time. But, you know, even at Passover, you can have some pretty bad weather. You could have snowstorms here. You could have terrible wind. You could have cold. Uh, it could be very difficult. And you're going up in the mountains, not following the plain. And there's a lot of difference between 6,000 feet and 10,000 feet when it comes to weather. So, maybe it's not talking about winter, but bad traveling conditions. Winter-type weather. For in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created to this time, neither shall be. So up until the time that the times of the Gentiles officially begins, when the false prophet stands in the temple, that'll be when it really gets bad. Because Satan will have his leaders standing in the temple of the living God <coughs> with all power over everything. And Satan's sworn project is to destroy all mankind. That's what he has in mind. He does not want anybody to be in the kingdom of God. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be the kingdom of God. He wanted to put God down and take total charge. And now he sees and knows that God is creating more gods. Oh, and that frosts him. He wants all human beings dead. Physically dead. And he would hope in a lake of fire and spiritually, eternally dead. That's what he wants. And he will be in total charge then. God will allow that. And the Gentiles are going to hate Israelites completely and totally. And you already see that. If you're a white man, 
then you are in your own privileged class, and the rest of the world wants to see you gone. A wasp, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. That's who they want to see destroyed. We're the ones that are racist in their view. Now, if they want the whole white race wiped out, are they not being racist? Well, okay. But you are what you are, and you call it as you see it. And they see us as the problem. So the whole Gentile world will turn against Israel wherever she is and seek to destroy every Israelite. That will be their first goal. That is Satan's first goal. When he's kicked down for the last time as our accuser, the very first thing he's going to do is go after the remnant of the church that is left behind. And in fact, he's going to send an army when she flees after her to try to kill her. That's the first thing that happens when the false prophet stands in the temple. Try to kill all those people that are trying to get away. That's why you got to hurry. <coughs> Satan will have his army coming after you. And he says it'll be swallowed up. But don't let it run over you before it gets swallowed up. Then will begin affliction such as never been. And except that the Eternals had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. <coughs> but for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he has shortened the days. He's going to take care of those who will serve and obey him. I might have more comment on that particular statement, but uh, let's just leave it there for today since we're out of time.